0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, President of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. And today is going to be very revealing as we've been talking about foundations and how as Christians were to build on the foundation that has been laid in Christ Jesus, you're going to get a clear picture of building in the realm of public policy in a way that will, I think, over time prove to be futile. In the words of 1 Corinthians 3, 15, to be burned up. And today, To demonstrate this, I'm going to use several clips from an interview with one of our former guests, Jeff Schaefer, to paint for you a clear picture of the problem facing us in our country, which is a philosophy or metaphysic, uh, really rising to the level of religion, of what I will call a philosophy of nothingness, of meaninglessness, or perhaps I should say a world that only has the meaning you and I personally and individualistically ascribe to it, including to our own bodies. And then I'm gonna play for you, in contrast, audio clips from the expert testimony offered by a Christian organization in support of a bill here in Tennessee that passed, that became law, that prohibits biological males who consider themselves females from competing in college sports against biological females. This bill and the testimony supporting it has become quite popular and the legislation has passed in, I think, four or five states. But I believe by the time you hear that testimony, at the end of today's podcast, after the introduction I'm gonna set for you, you will see how Christians can make a policy argument that sounds good for something that appears to be good but actually proceeds on the same basis, the same worldview, the same understanding of who we are as humans as that of the problem it purports to attack. They're the same. And I submit to you that the nature of the argument for the bill that you're gonna hear is kind of like conceding, that your friend gets to make up the rules uh, by which a game's gonna be played, and then wondering why you kept losing. Or, if you win, wondering why there are some new rules the next time you play that seem to keep you from winning. Think of the Tea Party movement. If you want an example of a win that was not enduring. Lots of Christians were involved in that movement. They were fed up, and they got new people elected in D.C. Their intention was good, but that work was, in the words of 1 Corinthians three fifteen, burned up in their own lifetime. It didn't last. Same thing happened with Trump. I wrote a commentary about it in December of 2016. Would the Trump revolution bring about a lasting change? Well, I think we saw the answer to that was no. It's been undone by the Biden administration. And unfortunately, because of those experiences, many soured on politics, not realizing their efforts failed, not because it's pointless to try, but because it is pointless to try when you're relying on the same metaphysical, philosophical, religious principles as the people you're opposing. Now, with that said, I want to start with a quote from an article from which I quoted when I began this whole series on foundations. It's by Michael Hamby, entitled American Revolution as Total Revolution. And he makes this statement, The root of the political crisis in the West is not itself political, but metaphysical and religious. At its core is the elevation of becoming over being. Let me read that again. The root of the political crisis in the West is not itself political, but metaphysical and religious. At its core is the elevation of becoming over being. Now, what's he talking about with this becoming over being? and, and that the core of this is a metaphysical or religious problem. Well, I wrote about it in my commentary, uh, dated April 22nd, if, if it would be helpful for you to kind of just read about it. But, but here's what he's talking about. It's the denial of creation, by which the eternal being of God is the source of all being among creation. And what he's saying is that idea has been replaced with the idea that we are only a being in process of becoming, in the process of, of being, of becoming something other, presumably better than what we are. It's the whole idea behind the concept of evolution. And with that view, being human is a moving target, but it's guided by nothing that's fixed. Everything's malleable. So Hamby put it this way. If we annihilate all but the barest, biologistic conception of human nature. In other words, our anatomy, our biology. If nature is simply whatever can be observed, which means anything is just as natural or unnatural as anything else, the fundamental realities of human nature, what we would believe in as believers in the doctrine of creation, man, woman, mother, father, and child, must be perpetually Redefined. So let me read that again without me interrupting myself. If we annihilate all but the barest biologistic conception of human nature, if nature is simply whatever can be observed, which means anything is just as natural or unnatural as anything else, the fundamental realities of human nature man, woman, mother, father, child must be perpetually redefined. In other words, that is, being has been replaced with becoming. Now, this is how my lawyer friend and director of the Hale Institute, Jeff Schaefer, put it. And you're going to hear him explain the importance of the metaphysic, the theology of the doctrine of creation and the consequence of losing that as it relates specifically to the transgender issue, the male swimmer, Leah Thomas, and to the legislation I mentioned. So let's listen to that clip.
2: If your Christian faith is not grounded in history, not grounded in the created reality, this world, Jesus right, had a body right. that he rose from the dead in, yep. that, and, and, and that God created this world and has fixed realities, then what stops somebody from saying, inside my body, despite what my body looks like, I feel like a woman, even though I have a biological male body? It's, it's not... I mean, is, is that... Let, let, let me suggest something that perhaps would be helpful in filling some of this out. Yes. There is a change, um, and this goes back quite a few centuries, but it kind of picks up speed through time, and that is of conceiving of the human person, the body, not or in creation more broadly, not in terms of givenness and created meaning and a telos, yes. present, but rather in terms of... Um, pure materiality. Mm -hmm. That is to say, the person is understood as a composite of measurable functionality. Mm. So we can't say what a person is on this new account. We can only say what it does and what we can do with it.
1: Now, let's listen to what Jeff says about the consequence of this is...
2: Once we just see people as a compilation of parts with no particular meaning associated with them, they just serve functions. You can pull pieces. You frame Plug and play.
1: I don't know if you caught the observation of the host there at the end of Jeff's comment where he said, it's plug and play, just like a Mr. Potato Head. Now, with that as the context of the current understanding of who we are, of nature, of things, of stuff. Then we're going to hear this very chilling statement by Jeff about what we have learned from the past in connection with what he was talking about as the old genetics. The idea prevalent in the 1920s coming from Margaret Sanger and others that well if somebody's an imbecile We can sterilize them. That was a famous case, a decision by Oliver Wendell Holmes, where um, a particular woman had uh, been born to somebody they called an imbecile who was um, born uh, to a woman who was an imbecile, and he concluded the opinion with three generations of imbeciles is enough. It was our experiment with genetics. And you'll see, if you think about it, that that's exactly what we're doing again. We're manipulating bodies and parts because they have no inherent meaning. So listen to what he says here.
2: We've not learned the lessons of the 20th century. We have kind of a... um, we're, we have maintained an abhorrence with the terroristic excesses of the totalitarian regime, but we have not only imbibed but built upon the idea that essentially man is nothing at all except what we
1: can do with him. Wow. And now, now here's what you're going to see, that Jeff is, is correct, that we, we've not just imbibed, but we've built on, built our arguments on the idea that man is, in fact, nothing. That we are nothing but, as he said earlier, a composite of measurable functionality. We're just a plug-and-play type Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. And all we can really say is what this stuff, our, our bodies, does and what we can do with it. So with that, listen to these two clips of part of the argument that was made in support of this bill and I'm not just pulling them out to isolate them but this was the tenor of the whole debate and i believe you will hear how the argument in favor of the bill rests entirely on this world view that we are nothing but a composite of atoms that can be measured and to which we decide its meaning its purpose and i'm just going to play them back to back
0: this body must act to set a clear fair, and scientifically-based policy to guide schools and colleges and to guarantee equal opportunities for female athletes. Every student should have the opportunity to play sports. But the question is, what is the most fair way to organize them? The solution is HB 2316, which ensures that all female athletes have a level playing field to compete and win. You're absolutely right. When we look at sports, there's a long history of recognizing physical differences and categorizing sports. As you mentioned, we do it with age. We don't let the 20-year-old compete against the 12-year-old. As Lily brings up, we do it in wrestling. We don't allow the 250-pound wrestler to go against the 130-pound because we recognize the differences. And the same reason we do so based on biological sex. Because as Lily pointed out, there is study after study after study demonstrating those biological differences.
1: Now, As Michael Hamby said about this kind of argument, again from his article, if all truth claims are merely the expression of class interest, bigotry, or psychosis, If only what is subject to empirical observation, did you hear those concepts in that argument? Weight, height, strength, bone mass, and can be empirically represented, then there is no possibility of argument. There's only rhetorical persuasion and manipulation. In other words, we can't say what something is, so we're just left with rhetoric, persuasion, manipulation. And this reduces everything to power. Who has the power to manipulate this stuff called humans? I would say human beings, but human becomeings. Who Who has the power to allow these measurables of functionality to be bent to mean one thing instead of another? It's just a power play. And if you listen carefully, you're going to see that this, uh, a move of power, is what the expert policy advocate said at the introduction of his whole argument. Listen to this.
0: University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, a male who identifies as a female, has been breaking women's records since the fall and just a few weeks ago captured a national championship in women's swimming. HB 2316 would help to prevent stories like these from happening in Tennessee.
1: Do you see now what's happening? We've reduced everything really to a matter of power. You have the power to prevent this. So exercise your power. And I think as I played last week, the only difference between the liberals who are for the transgender movement and the Christians who are against the transgender movement is that we want to exercise the power to decide who we are using the same kind of arguments that they're using for themselves. We're we're not making an argument that's built upon anything that's fixed, that's enduring, that's rooted, as I said in the clip from the beginning of the show, in history and in creation, and ultimately, therefore, it will only slow the inevitable direction in which we're going, but it will not and cannot reverse it because it's not built on the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ in whom, through whom, and for whom are all things. Sadly, we've done this before. I conclude today with... A couple of quotes from Nancy Piercy in her book called Total Truth. If you've got the book, it's on page 309 where she's talking about the Christian response to Darwinism. She says this, the tragedy is not just that evangelicals fail to meet the challenge. For the most part, they didn't even recognize it. See, that's what was happening in the argument for this transgender bill. The argument is we don't mean anything except what can be empirically measured, and so we make an argument based upon what can be empirically measured. Piercy goes on and says with respect again to evolution, a great many Christians simply took the facts that Darwin presented and inserted them into the older philosophy of nature as an open system, meaning that God actually exists and works in time and space, not realizing apparently that the older philosophy was precisely what was under attack. In other words, the philosophy that these things have some inherent meaning, these things that we can measure have some inherent meaning, some real meaning, some given meaning, some fixed meaning, is what's under attack. And, And we don't see that by making the arguments about those measurables, we're making the same kind of argument. She goes on to say, The distinctive element in Darwinism is not natural selection, but the denial of design or purpose. See, there's our metaphysic again. And the denial of design in nature is virtually the denial of God. Philip Johnson, who wrote Darwin on Trial, this is uh, again from the Nancy Percy book, said, Christians often think the controversy is primarily a dispute about scientific facts, and so they become trapped in arguing scientific details, rather than concentrating on the fundamental assumptions that generate the evolutionary story. You see, that's exactly what took place in that legislative hearing room. We think it's a dispute about facts. Maybe we don't think that, but at least that's the way we argue it. So, as Philip Johnson says, we become trapped into arguing scientific details because those are the rules of the game they give us. And then we wonder why we lose. And we're not attacking the assumption that we don't give meaning to those measurables but that God has given meaning to them and we've been made male and female. Well, I hope you'll join me next week as we begin to look at how to build rightly and I hope you will join me on the next episode of God, Law, and Liberty.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and if you want to help spread the word, Please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.